pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the time that we have had to worship in song and prayer. Lord, I ask that by your spirit you would now help us to be ready to hear your word, that you would attend this time and do what only you can do. Father, we give this time to you and ask that you would speak for your children are listening. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Today is the third Sunday in Lent, in case you're not keeping track. We are halfway through. <laughs> I counted. We're halfway through. Um, I'm counting because the, the Lord has been very faithful to me this Lenten season. Um, I'm counting the days. <laughs> I don't know if you're with me in that. <laughs> oh, so I feel like I'm really loud. Are you, can you guys hear me well? Okay, then it's just me. <laughs> Last of all, um, Brian and Tamara and Ryan and Amy and Jeff and I attended our diocese's con convocation and synod. At each of these gatherings, I know often we tell you right before we leave and then we tell you when we come home and give you just a little bit, um, but at each of these gatherings, uh, we've, we've only had three. We're a baby diocese. Uh, speakers are brought in who are experts faithful Christian experts in one aspect or another of our culture. So we have discussed changes in outreach and discipleship. We have heard from experts on uh, the gender issues of the current culture. And this past fall, the conversation was on immigration. And each are brought to the clergy and the lay leaders of the diocese as topics that are relevant to our congregations and the world around us. And together we ask, discuss, and pray on how the Bible orients us as Christians first and leaders second towards these cultural issues. They are rich, deep, and complex conversations meant to ensure and secure that we are seeing our culture and serving and loving his people in that culture through the right lens. So this past November, our speaker was Dr. Danny Carroll. Um, and his expertise is immigration. And so he began this way. The challenge, he said, we're all thinking about immigration and the culture. The challenge, he said, is to think <laughs> self-consciously as Christians. Not from the culture to the Bible, but from the Bible outward. And on this topic of immigration, he then said, the word of God gives us the right lens in which to see and understand immigration. And I would offer... It gives us the right lens in which to see and understand all of our culture because the word of God is the right lens. And so we started in Genesis on that day. And this is what he said. So he quoted uh, Genesis 1 to us. Um, it's always good to have somebody else say, remember, this is what the Bible says. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And then Dr. Carroll went on to explain in his expertise, we begin with recognizing immigrants' humanity. Their humanity is where we start because their humanity is made in the image of God. And as a reminder in terms of all culture, I just think that's the right lens. This is where we start. We start with knowing that each and every one of us is made in the image of the Lord. And we start with scripture so that in stepping out and thinking and acting and voting, we're starting from the right lens. So no matter what the culture tells us, 
no matter how the culture tries to make us feel so that we act or vote a certain way, those of us who belong to God start with the word of God because it is the right lens. It's foundational and we're called to live and act in regards to every aspect of our lives and every facet of our culture from this start. So with that, normally I only, we give you the question at the end for your 60 seconds <laughs> of silence. I'm going to offer now as we walk through Moses and as we walk through Luke, Luke 13, um, what lens do you have on today? And where is the Lord asking you to either readjust, <laughs> clean it <laughs> as you clean your glasses, or, um, or is it the wrong one altogether? And so I just offer that now as we go to Scripture. So the thing about Moses that I love in this is this is a monumental task. This is a monumental ask that God has given Moses. Um, and if you remember, he's coming to Moses. Well, he's been gone for years from the people of God. And he's just been a farmer and a shepherd and living quietly. <laughs> and so God comes to him in this mighty way. You can imagine him. <laughs> the the uh, movies help me with the video. You know me. I'm visual. I tell you this all the time. I think in movie and I think in song. Um, and so you could just kind of see him going, is that a burning bush? <laughs> is it? It's not consumed? You know, and then to hear the startling verse of the Lord say, no closer, take your sandals off. It's holy ground. He certainly has Moses' attention. But he's being called, Moses is being called back to Egypt by God and to lead his people. Not only go back, and he was terrified, which is why he fled, right? But to go back and to lead them out. It's monumental. And so, understandably, Moses has some questions. Um, who am I? Like, do you remember who I am? Who am I to go back to Pharaoh? God responds, I will be with you. And Moses starts again, okay, but <laughs> when they ask who sent me, who do I say? And it's almost as if, so I've called you Lord, but who are you? You know, again, he's been away from his people. And remember before he left, he was being raised in Pharaoh's household. So he's really asking, um, I'm sorry, and who are you again? Who are you, Lord, and how do, I, how do I explain why I'm there? So, of course, we just read, God responds, Tell them I am has sent me to you. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. And in the rest of chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4, we read Moses' other concerns, right? Um, don't, they won't believe me, Lord. They're not going to believe me. And what will I say? I mean, I, I, I'm slow to speech. I, I, you know, I trip over my own tongue. What am I supposed to say? To each response, the Lord gives his assurance. I will go with you. I will be with you. I will provide for you. I will make a way. Through Moses' lens, it's a lot of S's there, through Moses' lens, this was an impossible task and that he was completely unqualified to perform. Through Moses' lens, there was no way the people of Israel will listen to him, much less follow him out of Egypt. Through Moses' lens, there was fear. But through God's lens, Moses was the right man for the job. Through God's lens, the people were ready to hear from and see the hand of God deliver them. Through God's lens, nothing was impossible. God's words of assurance, protection, and power to Moses gave him the right lens to believe. Wholehearted, wholehearted inner confidence 
that God is who he says he is and he will do what he says he'll do. And as we read the rest of the story, we see that Moses isn't completely convinced that he can do what God is asking, but we see with God's words and the right lens, he's able to step out in obedience. Hebrews 11 tells us this, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. The word of God gives us the right lens through which to walk by faith, even when the task seems impossible. And when we wonder how the Lord will work it out. And I don't know about you, but that's, that's pretty much where I am. Wondering how the Lord is going to fix the things I'm walking through and wondering how he's going to make it right. I wonder if you think it's an impossible task as well. So then when we go to Luke, centuries later, the descendants of those who were delivered by the mighty hand of God, delivered from slavery, are the ones who are questioning Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. There are some differing thoughts on the intent behind the question. So Jesus is on his way. Luke tells us he is, he is still on his way to Jerusalem. He is intent on where he's going. Um, and yet he's stopping to teach and preach along the way. There's work to do even when you know where you're going. There's still work to do. And he was intent on the cross. And so they, there are commentators who think, um, well, as they do, different things about this. But one is just to say, um, I wonder if we can trap him. I wonder if we can, you know, make him stumble because we actually already know the answer to this question. Lord, will only few be saved? Those who were maybe asking or even listening would have known that the Jewish scholars actually had written, many are created, but few are saved. So I think they're wondering whether he knows his stuff as well as they do. This may have been a question of concern, you know, from these are the people of Israel. So maybe it was real concern under the Roman oppression rule. We're all under, we're all suffering. Only a few will be saved, Lord? Only a few? Or maybe it was simply an interest, uh, question of interest. Um, those who you may know who just need to know the details, but they're not really concerned about the content. So is there a cutoff, Lord? Is there a number of people you're counting that will be saved? And like we know in current days, in the last few years, so what is the day, the time, the year? Is there a way to know? They don't really want to know much more than that, but there are people like that who just like the details. But Jesus, of course, knows the intent, and so he doesn't satisfy the curiosity, but he goes right to the heart of the matter. Eugene Peterson puts it this way in the message, Jesus' response, whether few or many is none of your business. Put your mind on your life with God. The way of life to God is vigorous and requires your full attention. And if I was using the terms of lens, I might paraphrase it this way. You're using the wrong lens. The number shouldn't concern you. You should be concerned about whether you are among the few saved. Put the lens of God on. The question is asked probably through the lens of lineage and heritage. These are the people of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, by the way. And so it could have a little bit of sarcasm to it or snarkiness. 
It's just us, right, Jesus? It's just God's people, right? It's just us. So Jesus' teaching that has come up until now and even here, it's not the fact that Jesus says only a few are getting through the narrow gate. There will be many who are outside the door when the door shuts. That they kind of already know. What surprises them and gives them pause is his reaction about who that is, right? He actually says to the people there, you'll be standing and the door will be closed and you will watch Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets walk by you. And you will watch people from the east, west, north, and south, which by the way is us, the Gentiles. You will walk that, they will walk by you to get into heaven before you because you need to strive. You need to have the right lens of how it is that you are supposed to be entering the kingdom. You're not seeing it correctly. You think you're in. And that is the surprise that they have in Jesus' response. Again, Eugene Peterson puts it this way, you'll protest, but we've known you all our lives. We're of the same people. We're with you. Only to be interrupted by the master who says, your kind of knowing is hardly knowing at all. You don't know the first thing about me. To put on the correct lens, Jesus instructs us to strive. And the word here for strive is the same used in Greek for training as an athlete. And it's the root that we get agony from. You must engage and use your entire body to complete the task. All that you have and all that you are needs to be put into this life. Not for salvation, because literally Jesus is standing in front of them and they don't see him. It is for those who are living by Christ and in faith with him. We are to strive to live this life. There's no, but these people who are listening, they think there's no reason to strive. They think there's no reason because they think they're already in. Again, I'll ask, what lens do you have on? Are you striving in the positive connotation of the word, not the I got to do this to get to heaven part? But are you engaging all that you are and all that you have into this life that he has called you to? Or are you just thinking, well, I accepted Jesus when I was seven, so I'm good. Which, by the way, when I accepted Jesus as my Savior when I was seven was a little bit what we were told. Oh, good, your name is in the book of life. Okay, good luck out there. See you in heaven. It really was. The church I grew up in was, you know, you just kind of pull up your bootstraps and hang in there, but you'll be in heaven. That is not the life that Christ has for us. And that is not the life that he is talking about. He is making it clear that although these people may be sur surprised and shocked about who enters, we shouldn't because we should know in, as my mother likes to say, in your knower, you should know that you know that you know that you will be among those because of the way that you have received his salvation and the way you are fully engaging with all that you have and all that you are into the life that he has called you to. We are to give our whole selves. And we are to walk towards the crossless lens in this lens. This lens that is God's lens. And so I'm wondering along with you today, what part of the lens that I have on? What, which is it? Is it the completely wrong one? Like, do I really need to lay it down? Lord, it, do I have my own lens back on? The one like Moses is... There's no way that I could even do this, God. I, I can't even believe you're asking, which is really the, like, the incredulous tone that Moses has. Are you kidding? 
You know, do you know I, I ran from there? Are you kidding? I wonder if that's where you are. Lord, I can see the next step. Like you actually know where he's taking you and you have no idea how you're supposed to get there. And the fact that he's asking you is frightening. Moses is afraid. And I wonder, along with you, if that's where I am in my fear. As a matter of fact, I'll just name it. I have a fear of lens on. I have a lens of fear. <laughs> Thank you for not correcting me. <laughs> I'm really wondering what God is up to. And I'm really wondering how he's going to figure it all out. And I need to be reminded that he not only loves me, not only did he deliver me, not only did he lead me out of sin and out of slavery, of this culture and of this world, but he has me in the palm of his hand. He will provide. He will show me the way. I can't see it right now. <laughs> so in our 60 seconds of silence today, join me in asking, Holy Spirit, will you first give me an inkling of the lens I have on does it need adjusting? Is it yours? Is it mine? Holy Spirit, will you help me let go and not have it gripped around the lens? And would you speak, Lord, and tell me what it is I can do next? What next step of faith I can take to fully engage my entire being into this life that you have rescued me for, that you died for, and that you have big plans for me for? And I just can't see it right now. So you bow your heads, as Brian says, I'll keep the time. Lord, you are a good, good father. And you, you have amazing plans for your children. Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters with me today. And I ask that you would continue to do the work inside of each of us to adjust or completely change the lens that we are walking around with, Lord. I thank you for your word that gives clarity to what you have for us, that assures us of your love, but it assures us, assures us of your provision and your protection. And, Lord, that you encourage us to lift our head and to see through your lens. Father, I ask on behalf of my brothers and sisters that you would do that work in them. We bless you and we thank you that you are with us each step of the way as we walk this Lent. Be with us still. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.